Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. That book is going to be out in January 2019, but I didn't want to wait until that time to start talking to superheroes of love. And guess what? Here's the news. You are a superhero of love. And through talking to other superheroes like yourself, tapping into that little superhero inside of you, I'm hoping that you and I and all of us start feeling more and more like superheroes of love, meaning that we love and are loved more than ever before. So welcome. Let's get this party started. I'm so excited. So superheroes, we are here with a major love leader. We are here with Steve Farber, who people have been trying to get me introduced to. Do you like that English? Get me introduced to. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that people have been trying. <laughs> we, we have so many mutual friends, but our amazing friend who we both love, who I call the Mr. Rogers of the business world, Gary St. <laughs> Dennis. He is the one who's been telling me like for over a year, you have to meet Steve Farber. You have to get him on your podcast. So his, his, his book is called Love is Just Damn Good Business. Do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. And then we'll talk about that phrase, do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. But it was bears repeating right now, but we'll talk about it later. So we're here with Steve Farber. He is a man who is, he's another Mr. Rogers, uh, you know, Gary St. Dennis is definitely the Mr. Rogers. We have to, I have to come up with something different for you, but. I think but so. I've never been, I have to say, <laughs> I've never been equated with Mr. Rogers, although I would gladly accept it. No, but you know, here's the piece that you're like, Mr. Rogers. So first of all, Gary, who we both know, like, literally walks through the world like Mr. Rogers, right? Like if we would not be surprised if he always wore the little cardigan and had little, the little tennis shoes on either, right? Because he literally, in any situation, he, is, he leads with love and kindness. But, um, but Steve Farber, who we're here today with, brings love and kindness into the business world. Like that is his mission. That is his, his be beauty on this planet Earth. He is the president of Extreme Leadership, Inc., He's the founder of the Extreme Leadership Institute. He's a speaker, a consultant. He has, beyond this Love is Just Damn Good Business, which is mo his most recent book, he has best-selling books called, that you may have heard of, The Radical Leap, The Radical Edge, and Greater Than Yourself. Um, and he developed this, uh, the radical leap framework that businesses can jump into to make a big, big difference in their world. But why he's on the Superhero of Love podcast is because obviously you're a superhero of love. Listen, this is great. So far, I'm Mr. Rogers. I'm a superhero of love. I can't wait to see what happens next. <laughs> he's Tinkerbell of the business world. <laughs> Another unlikely parallel <laughs> right no but the uh, i love that's one of the really cool things about your book that you interweave all these real life stories of magical things that happened in businesses because you went with your magic wand and touched them right so we'll get into some of those but first i just want to ask you just because we're in the middle of a pandemic so i just want to talk to you about like 
how how you are bringing love into this this landscape now with everybody flipping out. Yeah. <laughs> so what what what's your advice for anybody that's uh, currently in the stage of flip out? Well, you know, one of the things that that's been really interesting to me is obviously I'm spending a lot of time uh, on Zoom, like a lot of people are. But as I as I go around from company to company and meeting to meeting, and I facilitate meetings and do some version of a talk or a keynote or a webinar, I'm hearing more and more people are saying things like, you know, love is really important now mm-hmm. because people are isolated. They're scared. Um, that everything's uncertain. So we need connection. We need relationship. We need support. We need kindness. We need, we need to love each other and be there. Even if we're not there, maybe even especially because we're not there in physical proximity, we need to go out of our way to connect with people. So what I find really fascinating about all that is it's true. Mm. And it's true because it's always been true. It's not suddenly true. It's not, it's just that now we're more aware of how true it is because we feel so much of a deficit of it. Uh, and, and, and things are not, you know, quote unquote normal. So I'm, you know, I, I take great, um, in, in an odd way, I take, a, I take great comfort in some of the dynamics that are happening right now because it's bringing, it's bringing this dynamic of love and connection and meaning and support to, um, to, to the priority that it's always deserved. Mm-hmm. And in many places of business has always had, uh, but it just hasn't been the norm as to how we think about what business should be like yeah. or any kind of relationship for that matter. But particularly is the context of business where this becomes all of a sudden a provocative conversation. Right. Right. But it's such a great, it is a really good time to read your book uh, for anybody, you know, like anybody in business, this is a great time to read your book because you're right. Um, it is always, love is a hardcore print business principle. Deal with it. That's the, that's the title of chapter one. I just love that. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. Cause I just love, I love everything about that title. Love is a hardcore business principle. Deal with it. Here's why it is a hardcore business principle. First of all, there's the statement, love is a hardcore business principle. Then there's the statement, deal with it. Okay. So let's just break it out. Here's why love is a hardcore business principle. Okay. I can summarize. Yeah, can I just say this, by the way, yeah. Mr. Rogers would never say deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Continue. I have, he I have. Would say, <laughs> he would say, can you say deal with it? <laughs> um, but he would never say deal with it. He would ask you if you could. Here's why love is a hardcore business principle. And I'll, I'll put it in, in, in just a real succinct way. Any business person should know that the most important thing that we can, the most important dynamic that we can create as a business is to have a product or a service or an experience that our customers love. Our customers need to love what we do for them because anything short of that, we don't have any kind of, uh, longevity, right? This idea that, that somehow satisfaction, customer satisfaction is good enough, is, is no longer true. It hasn't been true for a very long time. And we, all, we should all know this by now. It's so a we, need our customers, we need our customers to love what we do for them. Customers, clients, whatever terminology you use. So now let's, let's just back that up a little bit. In order to make that happen, 
in a meaningful and sustainable way over time to create that experience for customers, we have to create an environment, otherwise known as a culture, that people love working in. If I don't love working here, I can fake it, but not for very long. So if I don't love working here, it's very difficult, if not impossible, for me and my colleagues to create that sustainable love experience that our customers need to have from us. So let's back it up one more step. I can't create a culture like that or contribute to a culture like that unless I have it myself first. Mm-hmm. Because again, otherwise my only choice is I, I have to fake it and people have a pretty good bullshit meter they know when I'm faking it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's the business case in a nutshell. We need our customers to love what we do for them. The way to make that happen over time and consistently is to create a culture that people love working in. And I can't create that kind of culture unless I love it, them, myself first. So it all becomes very personal very quickly. So somehow this idea that love is anathema to business, that, that you know, you're either a love person or you're a business person is, is deeply and inherently flawed. Like one is, it's too soft. It's, too, it's, it's always been perceived as too soft. If you're going to, yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to go into the love realm, you're not going to, your ROI, which we'll get to later is not going to be high. Um, and the subtitle of your book, do what you love in the service of people who love what you do is really exactly what you just said. Right. Which is yeah. so great. Like if we could all just memorize that, do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. Yeah. Memorize that along with the title and the author. <laughs> you can also memorize the ISBN number. <laughs> oh my God. Memorize the ISBN number. That is hilarious. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so, so here's the thing. Doing what you love, the, 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 the stigma that this love thing gets, you know, for being California touchy feely hoo-ha crap, uh, soft, abstract, kumbaya stuff is partially because, first of all, we interpret it as a, as a sentiment, as a soft, squishy feeling. That's not the way I mean it. It's a practice and a discipline. It's not a sentiment. Now, there's feeling involved in it at, that's at, its, at its foundation. But the other reason it's easy to dismiss it out of hand without giving a lot of thought to it is, is the first part of that, that phrase, do what you love in the service of people who love what you do, do what you love. Oftentimes, that's where we leave the discussion. And we say, listen, all you got to do is do what you love. Do what you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. Do what you love, and the money will fall on your head. Do what you love, and everything will take care of itself. Maybe for some people, that's true. But I think it's, it, it's, it's a very, it, it's not the whole story. It's the foundation, certainly. But the ideal scenario is, yes, I'm doing what I love, that's where meaning comes from. That's where joy comes from. That's where um, my creativity is going to come from. But I'm not just doing it to serve myself. I'm doing what I love in the service of people. So that's the context for it. It's the business context. It's the moral context. It's the ethical context. If all I'm doing is what I love and I don't really care about the impact on you, that's another way of saying narcissism, right? Hmm. If all I'm doing is what I love and if it doesn't serve you in a business context, and I know it doesn't serve you because you don't pay for it and nobody wants it, but I sure love doing it. Well, that's not business. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a, a hobby. It's a hobby. Exactly. 
It's not a vocation. That's an avocation. And, and that's a great thing to have. So I'm doing what I love in the service of people. And I'm not just serving you because I, I know I need to, but I'm serving you in such a profound way. I have such an impact on you that the, the impact of that is reciprocity. In other words, you love me in return. You love what I do for you. So when you're doing what you love in the service of people who love what you do, that's the ideal kind of virtuous cycle relationship in a business right? and in any other context. But, but in a business, when you have customers that raise their hand and say, I love what you do. Wow. Now we know we're on the right track and we need more of those customers. So we have to keep, we have to keep creating that over and over again. Throughout reading your book, I kept getting this image of a circle, you know, like the love just feeding into the love, which feeds into the love and it just keeps coming back this beautiful and, and that phrase, um, I told you about that thing I did love forward talks, which I'm going to have you do when we do another love forward talks, but, and the, the, the um, tagline from that was love it forward. Like if you tell the story that changed your heart, it could potentially change somebody else's heart. And like this whole, like love creating more love, like the more love you pour into it, the more love you're going to get back and so on and so on and so on. And one of the, I loved one of the case studies that you talked about was Jankoa janitorial. Yeah. Do you want to tell a little bit about that story? <clears throat> sure. It's such a great story. Yeah, sure. I actually, I just uh, posted an interview with uh, Mary Miller. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's uh, on, on, uh, on, on my podcast, oh my which gosh. coincidentally is called love is just damn good business. The podcast. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, there's actually a very good, this is the deal with it part, okay, which we didn't address. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll marry in a second. Uh, the reason I called this book, Love is Just Damn Good Business, is because love is just damn good business. <laughs> That's the reality. So freaking deal with it. Exactly. And, and great things will be revealed unto you if you do. So, so Mary- And you prove it. And Mary, Mary is one of the case studies. So he proves it throughout the book. He keeps proving over and over and over when you pour love into a business, the ROI is extreme. Okay, yeah. go ahead. So, so it is, it's, it's example after example, case study after case study. Uh, Jancoa is, um, is a janitorial service. And they built their whole framework, their, their whole culture- around helping people to fulfill their dreams, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be janitors for the rest of their lives. So they've helped people buy their first home. They've helped people get an education. They've helped people get jobs elsewhere. They've had people leave and then come back. They've had people leave and become great recruiters for them because that's the kind of place that it is. And as it turns out, their turnover rate is, is very low in that because that industry is you know, typically pretty high. And you know what, I'm not sure if we put this in the book or not, but there's a, there's a great book by, by Matt, Matthew Kelly called The Dream Manager. It was a very popular book um, about how companies should help their employees achieve their personal dreams. Mm. Well, Jan Koa was the model for The Dream Manager. That's what the book was. It was actually based on what they do there. So... That's one of, of many examples. And they came to that, they came to that though, like they weren't happy. They weren't loving what they were doing at first. So it exactly. came from a crisis moment. Yeah. So that's a really cool, that's the, yes. the hopeful thing about your book is that these businesses were in crisis moments. And then you come in with the magic wand because you're Tinkerbell. And <laughs> in all fairness, it's not always uh, examples of me as Tinkerbell coming in with the magic wand. I, I didn't 
Oh, right, it's another tink. Somebody else was Tinkerbell in that point. Yeah. And, so right. so the, the point is that I didn't make this stuff up. I mean, that's, that's the more important point. Uh, this is based on a lot of observation over a lot of time and working with a lot of companies, but also, you know, knowing what's going on in the world of business and seeing this kind of thing happen over and over again. But with, with, uh, with, with Jancoa, with, with Mary, you know, they started out, uh, she and her husband, whose name escapes me at the moment. If you have the book there, you can probably find it. <laughs> I do. I, I, I do. And I, 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 can, I, can, oh, I uh, sorry, uh, Mary, if you're listening, um, <laughs> more importantly, sorry, your husband, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but, but they were, they brought in a consultant to help them, you know, turn this company around. And he basically said to them, you guys are the problem. You have a people problem and you're the, you're the people. Yeah, yeah, there's a paper problem. Yeah. Tony, shout out to Tony. Big shout out. Tony Miller. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it often starts with, with some kind of a crisis, whether it's personal or business or a combination of the two. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite case studies in the book is, is really on my mind right now because they just hit the news again a couple of days ago, uh, which is also a from crisis example is a company called Trailer Bridge. So Trailer Bridge is a shipping and logistics company. They're based in Jacksonville, Florida. And these guys, when you look at their, at their origin story, as people like to say in the comic book world, <clears throat> um, this was a company that was toxic. Uh, they lost money hand over fist. They had a terrible reputation among customers. So they, they ship stuff from mainland U.S., primarily to uh, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. Okay, so not a very sexy business, getting goods from point A to point B on the sea, literally, barges. So they had gone bankrupt, and then they, they in, in trying to emerge from bankruptcy, they burned through four CEOs in two years, four heads of HR in the same period of time. Uh, the place was, by their own words, I'm not speaking out of school here, the place was toxic. And they, um, the, the, on the management team was a guy named Mitch Luciano. Um, the board finally came to Mitch and said, okay, it's your turn. <laughs> we want you to turn this place around. <clears throat> now, here's what you need to know about Mitch. He was a love guy. So Mitch had read my books and had always been starting with the radical leap then the radical edge and greater than yourself. Um, and it had always been a part of his own personal leadership approach. So when the board came to him, and these are, you know, VC guys and venture capitalists and, you know, bottom line guys saying, we're losing money. You got to turn this place around. Uh, he said to them, all right, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, I'll take the job. He said, but on a couple of conditions. He said, number one, uh, I don't want the title of CEO. I have to earn that title because there's a lot of baggage around that title. So I'll take the title of president. I'll earn the title of CEO. When the employees say that I deserve that title, I'll take it. Mm, and the other that. thing he said was, you have to let me do, do it my way. And it's going to be unconventional. And the reason was he was a love guy, right? So the question that he started to ask right from the outset was, how do I create an environment that people are going to love working in and that our customers are going to love doing business with? Which is a radical question given uh. the circumstances of the time, right? Because nothing could have been further from that reality. Nobody loved the place. So instead of saying, how am I going to turn this place around and make money? He started with, how am I going to create a place that people will love working in? 
and that our customers will love working, doing business with. So he started to ask the question, what should love look like in the way that we do business? And he started, he did, I mean, they did hundreds of things. I'm not exaggerating. But to give you an example, he started with the really symbolic. Part of that was, I won't take the title of CEO until I earn it. That's symbolic. The other thing he said was, okay, we are a company at the time, there were 120, 130 people, I guess. Um, we're all walking around with name tags on, because that's what they always did. So we're only 130 people. We should know each other's names. So he banished the name tags. Also symbolic, but in addition to that, that meant that he had to learn everybody's name. <laughs> so there's that leading by example thing. Then he looked at the physical environment, and he said, we have cubicle city with floor to ceiling dividers, which means that there are people that have worked together for years that have never seen each other. And they literally sit side by side. So he lowered the height of the cubicles, and he said, let's start looking at each other told his managers to get out of your offices and spend time with people. Really basic stuff. But, but what they're trying to get across is, I love this place. I want, it, I want you to love working here. I want to know who you are. If people get to know each other, then they'll get to like each other, and they'll, get to, they'll establish these relationships. We'll start to do better work. Then he had you know, town halls where people could, could talk about stuff and you know, like all those kinds of things. They brought in a ping pong table and a foosball table in the, in the break room area. So people, you would encourage people to hang out together. Popcorn machine is always good for that. Right? <laughs> right. The smell of the popcorn attracts people. Then on, on, I think it's Thursday, he started bringing in a food truck. Put the food truck outside of the office building and buy lunch for everybody one day a week. They still do that to this day. Then he looked at the customer policies and procedures. And here's one of the many things they, they noticed. They had a longstanding policy, which was a complete balance sheet sort of a policy that said, if the shipment is not at least, it has to be at least 75% full or we won't sail. Because if we sail at less than 75% full, we lose money. So we won't sail until we fill it. <laughs> well, that's great. If you're a balance sheet, mm -hmm. it's not so great if you're a customer yeah. and you tell your family that car that you're shipping over there is going to be there on such and such a date and you find out that it didn't ship because they couldn't sell enough space. Yeah. So they just flipped it around. They said, okay, what would we do if we loved our customer? And then the answer is pretty obvious. We would sail. No matter what, because no matter what. they need it. Yeah. Because we said we would. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Well, now think about that, but we're going to lose money. Yeah, maybe on that shipment, but what's going to happen over time? Well, I'll tell you what happened over time. I'm going to skip to the punchline. There, and, and that's just a brief sample of many things they did. Uh, they were voted uh, two years, two or three years ago now, number one best place to work in the city of Jacksonville. Mm. The following year, they were voted number two best place to work in the city of Jacksonville. And that really pissed off the employees. Because they said, we deserve to be the number one best place in the city of Jacksonville. And what I found out just a few days ago is that 2020, number one best place to work in the city of Jacksonville. Oh, that's so Once great. again, the last the two years of the company, the revenue in the last two years of the company have exceeded the previous 25 years of the company combined. Oh, my God. 
And they're getting all kinds of service awards. They get these incredible customer accolades. And, and it just goes on and on and on. And the word no. of mouth must be extreme. Like the word of mouth when you're not delivering, when you say you're going to deliver, can't be good. But the word of mouth right. has to be so great now. Oh, my God. And they, customers. I mean, uh, employees. Yeah. So, so remember the, the premise. You need your customers to love what you do for them. The way that you make that happen is to create an environment that people love working in. And you can't do that unless you love it yourself first. Right? So yeah. Mitch was a love guy. That's where he came from. He said, I'm going to build the environment. Well, let's look at that now. So one of the unintended, unintended, that's hard to say too, unintended consequences. Is English a third language for you also? (laughs) It's also my first and second. So (laughs) they spend virtually no money on recruiters anymore. So you can imagine back in the day, they had to spend a lot of money on recruiters because nobody wanted to stay there (laughs) and nobody wanted to work there. Now they don't spend any money on recruiters because their employees are the best recruiters because they love working there and they want other people to come work with them. So they actually reinvested some of that capital in training people how to interview and how to recruit and what kind of, you know, how to help them get the best possible hires to bring in. So I spent some time there. Um, This was a couple of years ago now, back when we can actually spend time with people, I remember. (coughs) And uh, I went, I spent the day at the office um, you know, I had, I had met, I had met a lot of the folks, uh, Mitch came and spoke at one of our events. Um, he's also, it's also a podcast episode. You'll hear the presentation from the extreme leadership experience where he presented this whole story. Uh, but I just spent a day hanging out, talking with employees, you know, gave a talk to the company. Um, and I just had a great time. And one of the things that, that I <laughs> was really um, part of their tradition, which caught me by surprise, is that when you walk through the common, the common area in the center of the office building, right? So on a floor, there's like cubicle city, but the partitions are lower. There's a buzz, there's an energy in that room. Mitch's office is around there. Indy Bowman, who's the head of, uh, of uh, HR, her office is around there, you know, but it's like, so it's like the hub. When you, when you walk through there it's kind of dangerous because it's their tradition that they they shoot people that walk through there with (laughs) nerf guns so i'm walking through there at the end of the day i'm getting pelted by from behind these you know this is what they it's just a fabulous atmosphere um a little dangerous but but uh, (laughs) with a great sense of humor i mean it just goes on and on and on and, and the bottom line is that it all comes down to, it all comes from just asking a real simple question, what should love look like in the way that we do business? And knowing that that will flow to the bottom line. These are not mutually exclusive ideas. They're, they're all, they're one and the same. I, and I love how you, uh, I love the conversations that you have with the people like, Okay, was this, and I'm so sorry, I'm screwing up like what your case studies were and other case studies that you're mentioning. Were you American Greetings? Did you have anything to do with American Greetings? Or well, that just- uh, it, yes and no. I had, um, what I had to do with American Greetings was telling their story. Does that count? Yes, that's so counts. No, I, that's a great, that is, that's a great, that is a great story. Can you tell a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, so I got to know them because uh, they asked me to come in and speak. 
So everything they did there had, it, it was, it, they're an example of, look, this is what love looks like. See, I didn't tell them to do this. I didn't say they had to do this. I did, they, this is just what they did. And I'm just paying attention to it. See, now you do this. I, I met John Beter, who was the, the CEO at the time. Uh, and I, you know, I spoke to their senior managers and, 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 and one of the aspects of their company. So American Greetings uh, you know, is the iconic greeting card company, basically. And then um, I did one on the East Coast. I mean, one on the West Coast, sorry. Uh, and then I did one at their corporate headquarters in Cleveland, which they call their creative studios. Can I interrupt to just say that yeah. the reason why I, when I saw American Greetings Greeting Card Company, I was like, oh, oh, because you would think that they would already be in the love game. They are. Right? And that's the point. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 So, so they just. That's part of the point. Right. Their mission at American Greetings is to create happiness, laughter, and love. Yes. That's and what they say. Now, if you think about that from the obvious perspective of being a greeting card company, well then, well, Sure. That's what they do. They're a greeting card company, happiness, laughter, and love. That's what greeting cards are all about. But, but they, they really take that seriously as a standard to apply internally. So it's not just they want their customers to be, you know, to be jolly when they, when they use their cards, but they want the environment to reflect that. In other words, the experience of working there. So when they built their new corporate headquarters, which again, they call their creative studios, that's their name for corporate headquarters, they got a lot of employee input. And the question was, you know, how can we make this the, the best possible environment? And they drew up initial plans and they got feedback primarily from their creatives in the building that they wanted natural light everywhere in the building. It was really important to them. So they redrew the plans and created a building with natural light. It cost them an additional $30 million to do that. Wow. But it was important to them because they wanted to create that kind of environment. So even the physical environment, yeah. there's implications in what the, what the place feels like. And, and when you walk into their, into their lobby, which I have done, and you see painted along the, 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 the big mural in their lobby that says happiness, laughter, and love, you know, then their challenges, they got to live up to that every day. Right. And so I had, I asked John to come and speak at the Extreme Leadership Experience. Uh, and I believe it might have been the same year that Mitch was there from Trailer Bridge. And um, he, he told that story. And it was phenomenal to hear the CEO of the company tell this story, he had his team sitting in the audience uh, who were basically there as, you know, as bobblehead head nodders. It's like, yeah, this is, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. You know, constant confirmation. They love him. They really love him. And uh, just as a personal note, um, <laughs> I will never forget this. He finished his speech and it, it was amazing. He just did a great job. I believe I also put it on one of the podcast episodes. But. <laughs> Do you have a podcast named Love is Just Damn Good Business? You've heard you? it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but go listen to the, no, really listen to the story. It's amazing. Uh, but, but the behind the scenes thing here is 
after he, he gave a speech, I was talking to one of the American Greetings folks who was sitting in the audience. I said, man, John just killed it. It was absolutely fantastic. Everything that I, that I hoped it would be. And he said, yeah, he is, he is so great. We love him. We're really going to miss him. I said, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean you're going to miss him? He said, oh, he's, he's retiring next week. Oh, my God. So I went up, so I went up to John. I said, you're, you're retiring next week. Why, why didn't you say anything? <laughs> and he said, <clears throat> he said, because I was here to tell our stories, not about me. I didn't want to distract from the story. Oh, that's so beautiful. And he retired and then he moved, moved back to Kansas City where he's originally from. And uh, yeah, it's just an incredible example of that. So what? again, my, but, but my point is that, you know, I mean, listen, at, at our company, the Extreme Leadership Institute, we do go in. I don't necessarily dress as Tinkerbell, uh, <laughs> but Jenna Lynch is probably closer to a, to a Tinkerbell kind of image than, than me, uh, although I wouldn't quite describe her that way either. But we do go in with our, with our um, you know, uh, magic wand and we help companies do this. That is what we do. But the, the reason we do this is because we know it works. And the way we know it works is by looking at a lot of companies over a long period of time that have done this. We just haven't paid attention to it in the way that we should. And, you know, maybe we, we call it other things. We called it passion. We've called it uh, meaning. We've, we've called it, and they're all valid. But I think we, we do ourselves a disservice by, by constantly trying to find another way of saying what it really is, which is love. Mm-hmm. And we avoid it because for some reason, we've been conditioned to believe that it has no place at work and we don't want people to dismiss us as being, as being frou-frou. And it is not. It is, to say that love is soft is, is completely inaccurate. It's very hard. This is, this is a very hard thing to do. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of putting the ego aside. It takes a lot of receptivity. It takes a lot of vulnerability. And, and there, there's risk in all of this. But the payoff is, is absolutely extraordinary if you take it seriously. Another way you put it is kindness plus high standards equals love at work. And sometimes people can get their head around that. So you can get your head around being kind, that that makes a difference. You can get your head around high standards. Um, so, and it's raising the bar way, way, way above just good customer service. Yes, and I think that's, that's another reason why people erroneously just dismiss this out of hand because they're, the, the, the thinking is that this is about lowering standards. Because I want everybody to love me, so I don't want to take anybody off. I just want to make it a nice environment where we walk around with big goofy grins on our faces and nobody ever argues and we have big group hugs. And, <laughs> and, and that's, that sounds nauseating to me, frankly. Uh, what, what this does, what love does is it raises the standards. It doesn't lower them. So back to, you know, the trailer bridge, for example, when you ask, what would we do if we loved our customers, we would sail. Well, that's about as high a standard as you're going to get, right? Because even if we have to lose money, we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. So if you just think of it, as 
a choice of, of the kind of question. If you ask your team, how can we improve customer service? You're going to get some good answers. But if you ask the same team, how can we prove to our customers that we love them? Mm. Or how can we create an experience that our customers will love? That's a different question. Yes. It raises the bar. It doesn't lower it. It raises it. And then we hold ourselves accountable to that higher standard. That's what I mean by kindness plus high standards. You don't have to be an asshole to hold people to higher standards. You could be kind and, and, you know, no nonsense at the same time. And oftentimes that becomes the most rewarding work experience because we want, you know, we want the best for ourselves and for each other. What we really love this place. This is a really perfect time for me to read my very favorite paragraph in your book. May I just say that I really appreciate that you actually read the book. Oh my God, are you kidding? <laughs> I, I know. I've done a few interviews where let's just say that hasn't been the case. No, I know. I've done interviews like that too. And it's just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Or they read, I don't know what they read. Maybe the back cover or something. Um, okay. The creation of a love, sh- excuse me. I already screwed it up and I'm going to tell you where this is. This is in the ROI of love chapter, one of the last chapters. The creation of a shared love mission and vision is that place where it all comes together, where the leader's aspirations, hopes, dreams, and ideals all align with the aspirations, hopes, dreams, and ideals of the organization. That is where the inspiration is conceived that is where the life is born. That is where the love is generated. But it's not found on a spot on a map. It's found all across the actual landscape. That is where the magic happens because that's where the shared love morphs and grows into a better version of itself with every passing tick of the clock. Nicely said. I mean, Brett, I mean, <clears throat> yeah. I'm a freaking genius. I'm Steve Farber, and I wrote so, Love is Damn Good Business. It sounds so good when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, but it's so, yeah. it is like, that is the heart of this book, right? You yeah, see? yeah, I believe, I believe so, because, you know, there's, there is this, um, the ideal scenario, in my opinion, is actually what I, when I first wrote about in The Radical Edge, which is my second book, the way I define The Radical Edge is stoke your business, stoke as in stoking a fire, amp your life as an amplify, and change the world mm-hmm. all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the, the premise is that these are not mutually exclusive ideas, that what we should be doing is finding a way to do all of those at the same time. Right. You don't have to be a jerk to make money. You don't have to be a martyr to change the world. We can do all of the above. So, so that's kind of the dynamic that, that's reflected in, in that thought as well. When I can align my personal aspirations with what we're trying to do together, and I can help other people do that, can you think of a better place to work? Can you think of something that you would love more than that? Yeah. And, and so therefore, what that means is, it doesn't have to be a happy accident. It could be something that we create, you know, consciously and intentionally. Business is about 
conscious and intentional creation of things, creation of product and service and marketplace and, and environment and culture. So why not create a place where we can hit on all those cylinders, where we can prosper, where we can, where we can be happy and joyful, and we can have an impact on the world. That's a, that's a true vision. That's a, the true power of vision is when it's inclusive to that level. Yep. My, the subtitle of my book, my book is called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart, and then go save the world. Because I come from the same place, which is that love, no matter how tiny the drop of that love, that can make a difference, which then makes another difference, which then makes another difference, loving it forward, constantly creating more love. And when people come to a workplace with love in their hearts and all day long, they're churning out love, how can they not go home and have happier families and have it trickle down into their, to their children and to their children's friends and to, you know, like it's all, we are making the world a better place every moment that we focus on love. But like you say, not the airy fairy, uh, kumbaya love, the love that we have to generate that takes focus and um, intention. So if I could play my own devil's advocate for a second, um, what about if I don't love my work? Mm. So, so this is the, what we're talking about here is, is the ideal that we want to strive for. But there are a lot of people out there, um, many people who are listening to this conversation right now, who are thinking, but I don't. Yes. I mean, I, I make money. I, I, I appreciate that I'm earning a living and I can support my family or pay my mortgage or whatever it happens to be, put food on the table, but I don't love it. Does that mean that, that something is wrong? Mm-hmm. And so I would say that it's not necessarily ideal. The ideal scenario is that we're hitting on all those cylinders. Um, but it's also not a lost cause because we are one person. This is one of the things that we tend to forget about. We compartmentalize ourselves. We say, well, I'm this person at home and I'm this person at work. Well, that's false. You're, you're literally, let me just, <laughs> literally is a word that I use literally. <clears throat> you are literally the same person at work and at home. You have the same DNA. You have the same internal organs. You have, now you play different roles. I get it. Um, <sighs> but you're the same person. So what that means is what you were just saying, Bridget. If you're happy at work, it carries over into the home life. The reverse can also be true. So maybe I don't love this particular job, but can I find something about it that I do love? Maybe it's the people that I work with. Maybe it's the product that we have. Maybe it's the hours. Maybe it's, what it creates for me in my life. And I just need to cultivate more gratitude for it. And is there something that I can do or should be doing outside of the work context that I do just because I love doing it? Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's going to affect me as well. And, and this is something that has become very clear to me. I mean, I love my work and, and I know, I know that, I'm very grateful for the, for the work that I do. I don't love everything about it. Uh, there are things about this work that I don't love. Um, I don't love, uh, I was going to say I don't love 
I don't love airports, but I miss them so much now that I'm, kind of, <laughs> I'm feeling nostalgic about them. But under normal circumstances, I don't love hanging out in airports. Uh, I don't love marketing. Uh, right. There are things, however, that I don't love doing that I have to do in order to do the work that I love. And the technical term for that is called being an adult. Right. <laughs> and every job has it. Every job and- has it. All right, but, but, but again, I also acknowledge that the predominance of what I do is something that I love doing. Right. But even in that context, you know, music, I've been playing music my entire life. I, I've been you know, a guitar player since I was 13 years old. And I gave it up a long time ago because I couldn't figure out a way to make money at it. And I had a family to support. And I just choked it off for a lot of years. Um, but music brings me so much joy that it carries over into the work that I do. And I've even started to integrate it back into the work that I do uh, in, in all kinds of ways. So I think like a, a lot of people have something that we used to love doing that we gave up on for all the wrong reasons. Couldn't make money at it. Um, didn't think we were good enough. Didn't have the time. Thought it was frivolous. Then, you know, whatever. And we just stopped. So, one of the things that we can do is to go back to whatever that was or discover something new that brings us joy that we love doing just because. And that's going to carry over into the things that we have to do that we don't love doing. Yeah, that's great. I also, when I coach people on when they're unhappy in their job or relationship or whatever it is, wherever it is that now and here and now is, if they hate it, I say, do the opposite of what your instinct is, which is pour love into it. Like literally pour love into your relationship. Like do something really beautiful for your husband every single day, right? And do something at your work that you would, you know, go above and beyond every single day. And pouring love into things causes transformation. You never know. It's the magical ingredient. It is being your own Tinkerbell, waving the magic wand and causing, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the, uh, the framework that that's the core, kind of our core methodology is the radical leap, which stands for love, energy, audacity, and proof. And of course that runs through the entire book. Uh, but there's a, there's a verb in front of each one of those words, cultivate love, generate energy, inspire audacity, provide proof, cultivate love, cultivate it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very different from, have it, be it, those are all mm-hmm. good too. But what you've just described is, is the act of cultivation. It's, mm-hmm. it's taking, making the effort to make it grow, to cultivate the soil so that it will grow. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a funny thing sometimes that um, just by paying attention and deciding to love something or someone can actually cause that to be true. Mm-hmm. Not 100% of the time, but far more often than we give ourselves credit for. But something, I feel like something always comes up, right? Like it may be, it may be that you become crystal clear that you need to leave a marriage or leave a job by pouring the love into it. It may become more crystallized, right? Oh, it's not just me. It's not something internal here. It's something, this is not a good, we don't have a shared vision, which you talk about a long time, right? Uh, shared values, right? Like, um, anyway. Yes. That was awesome. That was, I mean, we could, we could talk literally forever. <laughs> yeah, literally. 
forever. <clears throat> you know, it's funny that that word literally is uh, it's one of my it's one of my hot buttons. So I have, uh, uh, I think I might have shared this with you before um, in our previous. Wait, are you saying that you couldn't talk to me forever? Are you yeah. saying that I was exaggerating or something? What up with that? Okay, go ahead. Literally forever. Um, so uh, I have, uh, I have uh, six kids. I have three kids and three, three stepdaughters. You know, three stepdaughters and three from scratch, as it were. <clears throat> and uh, my, one, of my, one of my stepdaughters, Presley, our youngest, <laughs> is notorious for saying literally in a non-literal way. <laughs> I was so excited. I was so excited. My head literally exploded. Right. <laughs> no, it didn't. I see it. Uh, it's sitting, right, sitting right there on your neck. So, yeah, literally. It's hilarious. <laughs> but the fact that she uses literally makes it funny. I love her. Please tell her I love her. Yeah, she's, she is very funny, actually. <laughs> All right, Steve She's Barber. She's literally the funniest person I know. <laughs> um, you guys, does everybody understand now that love is just good business? In actually, <laughs> it's just damn good business. Um, so you can find Steve's book wherever you get your books. Um, love is just damn good business. The subtitle is do what you love in the service of people who love what you do, um, which just makes the world a better place as we have just discussed. Also, he has a podcast, which is called what Steve, what's it called? Mm, let me think. Mr. Rogers neighborhood. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Love is just damn good business. The podcast available everywhere you consume podcasts, or you can go to, stevefarber.com slash podcast. Excellent. And stevefarber.com has all kinds of other juicy, great stuff. And um, you can go, you know, anywhere that you, you get your books, look for Steve Farber because he now has 1.5 million books, literally 1.5 million books that you can read. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, for reminding us that love can be brought into the business world for a great benefit to everybody that it touches it's my pleasure this was so much fun let's do this again let's do it again literally every day <laughs> sign me up oh my god it's hilarious stop the recording Superheroes. That was Steve Farber. Check him out at stevefarber.com. Get his book, Love is Just Damn Good Business, anywhere that you get your books. And if you like this podcast, oh, check out his podcast, Love is Just Damn Good Business. And if you like this podcast, please go rate, review it, tell your friends about it. This more than ever, this time we need more superheroes of love in the fold. So tell as many people as you can about it. Subscribe to the podcast rate review it thanks for coming superhero have a wonderful day